Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I welcome author and podcaster Shelley Brisbane. Shelley has written some really interesting books about the accessibility of the iPhone and the iPad, and she has an excellent podcast called Lions, Towers, and Shields. Personally, I am addicted to it, and uh, I look forward to you hearing her talk more about it herself. Now, before we get to the show, we do have some housekeeping. First of all, I need to welcome a new Tutti Fruity. Welcome Amber B. Amber, thank you so much. Amber is now one of the few, the proud, the amazing people who support the show through our Patreon. So Amber, it's my pleasure to give you your official shout out and to welcome you to the family. Also of note this week, we have mentioned in the past our uh, devoted listener and tutti fruity Jennifer B., has her own podcast now called What Do You Mean You've Never Seen? Matthew has already been on it discussing The Breakfast Club. Well, I am on it, and it just dropped this past week where I am discussing Pretty in Pink, which is a movie I had never seen, but I was thrilled to get to talk about it because I could also talk about Molly Ringwald, the actress that she was when we saw her on the first season of The Facts of Life, and the actress she would become in her teen years and uh, spoiler alert, I think her performance is amazing in Pretty in Pink. So you can hear me talk about it at length with Jennifer and her co-hosts. I will post a link in the show notes. And that is all for our housekeeping. I think we're ready to get on with the episode. Matthew, Shelley, and I are about to discuss Season 9, Episode 8, A Rose by Any Other Age. And it had an original air date of November 28th of 1987. Are you ready to jump on in? Let's face the facts with Shelley Brisbane. Well, welcome to the show, Shelley Brisbane. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it was a thrill for me to get to be on your fabulous podcast, Lions, Towers, and Shields. And I thought, well, I have to reciprocate since you are a Facts of Life fan, I believe, correct? It is true. Yes, I'm a Facts of Life fan. Probably don't know as much as you gentlemen do, but, uh, you know, I hold my own. Uh-huh. And Matthew, of course, is here on the call, too, having just met Shelley moments before I hit record. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. Well, guys, are we ready to discuss Season 9, Episode 8, A Rose by Any Other Age? Nobody else is going to do it. So. <laughs> Let's do it. The original air date was November 28th of 1987. And before we get into it, before we get to the nuts and bolts, uh, Shelley, I always like to find out what relationship my guests have with the show. Did you grow up watching the show? What is your history with it? I guess I did. I was in, you know, 
high school age. So it was sort of like I'd walk through the living room and it would be on. And sometimes I would sit down and watch it. And I remember the show really well, but not as individual episodes. Like I know all the people. I know the eras. Oh, look, it's Charlotte Ray. Oh, look, it's Cloris Leachman. Seasons have changed. But I, <laughs> I could never have said, oh, this is my favorite episode or whatever. So so I absolutely liked it. I, I had, you know, uh, favorite characters and the like but but i was uh i was not you know it was it was a show i watched among among several i suppose mm-hmm. well this episode is uh we're we're deep into season nine uh we're we're here eight episodes in and it's it's as much season nine e as as the other season nines and so let's get some nuts and bolts done first though before the discussion the episode was written by Mark Tuttle and Barbara Berkowitz. For Mark Tuttle, this is his first of three episodes that he will write for the show. Two more coming up this season. Uh, he only has 10 writing credits. That's not a lot. But he is credited with 127 episodes of the Beverly Hillbillies. So that's a significant thing, as well as associate <laughs> producer of 34 of those episodes. So if you can write for the Beverly Hillbillies, you can certainly write for the facts of life. That's my philosophy. I'm not sure which is a step down. <laughs> I'm having trouble drawing those threads together, I have to confess. Oh. <laughs> he also wrote 11 episodes of Three's Company. He was the executive story editor for 47 Three's Companies. He wrote one episode of Life with Lucy and one episode of 227. But starting last season, Mr. Tuttle is listed as an executive script consultant for 27 episodes. Pretty much everything this season, he is listed as that. So he's in the writer's room. He is contributing and uh, let's just say responsible for a lot of what we see in season nine. Take that as you will. Now, Barbara Berkowitz, this is her only episode of The Facts of Life. IMDb doesn't indicate that she and Mark Tuttle were partners uh, other than this one episode they wrote together. She only has six credits as a writer, but it includes Happy Days, What's Happening, uh, the 1988 Monsters Today series. And she does also have eight credits as a creative consultant, but nothing I recognize. And she doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So, hmm, Mark Tuttle does. She does not. And our director... John Boab is back. Thank God. Shelly, you know where we are in the show. This is the time when we ask our guest to please provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the episode overall, similar to what you might find listed in TV Guide. And remember, if it runs too long, Matthew will judge you. No, nope. new leaf turned over, David, for season nine. Oh, that's right. That's right. I keep forgetting that. Really? There's no judging? No judging. I was expecting the judging. <laughs> yeah. So, so here we go. Blair sets her sights on a fellow law student, but he only has eyes for another of the housemates. Oh, my God. Perfection. Oh, my God. Aw, thank you. Doesn't that reveal anything. Was. That is terrific. And now, spoiler alert, who is the other one in the household, Shelley? Andy. No, <laughs> no, sorry. no, stop. We knew sorry. we'd eventually get to the gay in the show, but sorry, you know. that was a, <laughs> sorry, that was a different strokes episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no. Sorry. Oh bless. Are, are we in fact revealing it at this point, David? Uh, or, or are we <laughs> uh, we can let's tell you what. Let's all do right. this and let's reveal it. Let's all experience it and digest this as we go along. 
and begin our deep dive analysis. Our episode starts in the living room. Natalie, Tootie, and Andy are cleaning out the garage and going through cartons of, uh, for lack of a better word, shit. And uh, we have to stop here. I cannot go past this first moment because they're cleaning out the garage and they're walking in and out of that weird door that's on the right side of the fireplace. And we've talked about this door before because it's only been shown in a handful of episodes. I think only two, possibly three. And the only other times it's been presented that I'm aware of, when they've opened that door, there were trees outside of it. And in one of them, there was a structure. It looked like shingles, like it might be the outside structure of something like a garage. But in this case, this door leads to the garage. The garage is suddenly an attached garage in this Winchester house of confusing (laughs) stairs and doors. And, And I had to stop. I'm pausing it. I'm looking at it going, well, there's like an electric broom out there. And, and I don't see a car. And, and of course, that makes one wonder, well, all the times, who gets to park in the garage? They all have cars. Beverly Ann has the Winnebago. Why do we not see more people entering and exiting through this door? What happened to Edna's Volkswagen when she left? I mean, did somebody oh, get it? Did they inherit it? You're so right. That's never accounted for. Would have been nice I if mean, one of the we, kids inherited, like if Tootie you, you was able to so, take it on Tootie, or something. Because she learned to drive in the Volkswagen. Well, sort of she did, but not really. <laughs> look to the left, look to the right, look to the left, <laughs> look to the right. Anyway, uh, that's just, that's a big, one of those, you know, consistency canon moments that, you know, I love to fixate on. So first moments when they walked through that door, I was like, wait, what is happening? So just something to note, I do have still photos I've taken from three episodes, one in season five, one in season eight, meaning during the over our heads years. This isn't a a renovation that happened during the over our heads fire correction. Uh, And then this one here. So uh, definitely I recommend visiting the website and taking a look at those pictures. But uh, while they're cleaning out the shit in the garage, Andy's talking about he's being bullied at school by a kid named Spider. Huh. TV trope number one of this episode. Are these just 80-year-old writers that from the 50s when everybody had a nickname? Oh, there's Jujubee. Oh, there's, there's Slick. Oh, there's Stretch. Remember the Gooch on different strokes? That was Arnold's tormentor, the Gooch. Yeah, but like I didn't I don't know of anybody in my high school that was had a nickname like that. No. Like, oh, there's spider. Oh, there's tarantula. There's jackal. There's goose. I mean, we already have snake. He's not yeah. a tormentor, but we have some sort of animal kingdom creatures that <laughs> but I didn't experience that. If they had just sicked snake on spider, they would have exactly, had the problem right? solved right there. But no, you're right. We never Matthew. see either of them. Well, we haven't. So, and no, we we just saw Snake for the first time last week. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. So we'll we'll talk more about this bully situation. It's kind of sort of a B plot, but not really. It more is a slight tangent from the A plot that is about to happen, where Blair comes downstairs all stressed over needing to study and needing to use the living room because she's got a study partner coming over, and uh, while we're setting up for this and Blair is asking the other girls if she could please have the room to herself. We do have the lines thrown away 
if it weren't for Joe throwing out her back, she'd be helping us. And Natalie responds, if it weren't for her helping us, she wouldn't have thrown out her back. Ha ha! Guess what, people? We are still concealing Nancy McKeon's broken foot. Yes, I have thoughts about this. What are your thoughts, Shelley? So, so I looked it up, and this is the second one recorded, right? Correct. So the first, first recorded was episode three, and we saw, and I looked back at that episode specifically, because in that episode, rumor has it, Nancy McKeon is shown on the couch, and then she gets up, and she uses crutches, and she leaves the house. Yes. In this episode, in two scenes, well, in all the scenes we see her, she's completely prone. She's in the bed, she's on the couch, she's... It, it it appears as if if you didn't know differently, you'd think that perhaps this was recorded earlier because she's less capable of movement. But I guess just they decided it would be better to have her in a prone position and not try to move around. I don't know. Anyway, it's it, it's 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 sort of odd. It is. I I agree. I imagine when they were taping these, they thought to themselves, well, when Nancy McKeon was uh, on strike back in season six and we had to record stuff out of order, we've we've already dealt with doing stuff out of order. So if we do one without the crutches, we can, you know, we can mix this into the deck. We can shuffle that in wherever we want and, and it doesn't matter. So I, I figure that's, that's what it was, but I agree with you. She is more mobile in a subsequent, in a previous, episode. in a previous, right, in a previously, and, and, and in canon, it's a different injury, right? I don't. Do they? I can't even remember. Do they? Oh, right. So the the injury in canon is that in Malibu she's mugged. Yeah. Right. And so right. the next episode, when they come back, presumably she's still recovering because that's the first episode. The, in order of, of appearance after right. the Malibu episode. So she's still recovering. And then she goes off to her family reunion on a train instead of on her bike. And then in this episode, long time later, she threw out her back, presumably helping with all the garage cleanup. Yeah. And that's why we only have her in bed and on the couch. And uh, yeah, this is where we end the most wonky of the out of orderness of the episodes. There are some other little mix-ups later, and I'm not sure there's any reason to rhyme to it or why, but um, this, I mean, you got to hand it to them. We're eight episodes in. We've already forgotten about that broken foot. So sure, why not? Let's make it a, let's make it a, a, a thrown out back. Yeah. Oh, another clue that this episode was taped earlier was only the second episode taped. Do you notice how dark Mindy Cohn's hair is? Oh, Yeah. We speculated she darkened it to do a, a movie, a role in a movie where she had to play an Italian wife or something. 21 Jump Street. Oh, did Mindy Cohn do a 21 Jump Street? Yeah. Oh, oh I didn't know that. We got to see if we can find that. You should. You absolutely should find that. But it, yeah, it was an Italian name, and I think she was playing the wife of some Italian dude. So uh, you will notice in season nine, episode three, it is very, very dark. And this one, it's also quite dark. And I don't know if she actually lightened it or if it just faded naturally as, as the tapings progressed. But uh, definitely we're taking a step back to very dark hair, Natalie. And uh, it looks good on her. Still don't like it as much as I love the red. I want her red hair back so badly. I agree. agree with you. Yeah. So after the girls clear out, Blair starts setting a mood. She's putting out a flower vase and sprays perfume, puts out some snacks, turns on music. And it's like, 
as the girls come back in, they're like, uh, okay, clearly this is a dude and you're doing your Blair seduction on him. So it's like, okay, hmm. Never known Blair to have to try so hard. Which I guess is kind of the point a little later on. I was also abused that she pulled all those things for her seduction out of her little law school briefcase. That just made me laugh. That was, yeah. a, that was a great little prop work. Yeah. I mm -hmm. liked it. <laughs> yeah. No, she's fat. We, you know, we love everything Lisa Welchel does is awesome. Uh, so as soon as she's got the room set up, ding dong, at the door is her study partner, Larry Preston. Let's talk about this actor. The actor's name is Jeff Allin, A-L-L-I-N. As in, <laughs> when it comes to not being interested in Blair, he's all in. He has 54 credits in a 40-year career. He last worked in 2015. He did 58 episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful as Lieutenant Brian Burke from 87 to 88. He was on 10 episodes of Santa Barbara as Jeff Nugent in 1989 and uh, many other credits, which one can find on his IMDb page. And uh, he is a third-year law student, and he does say he is 28 years old, I believe. Is that what he said? That's what he said. I rewound it three times because I could not hear. It sounded to me, the version that I saw, it sounded to me like it was, he said, 48. <laughs> oh, God. So, <laughs> oh, so no. that... That kind of changed my whole perspective of, of it. So I have to delete some notes now. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Let me do a little bit of a search for... I, I wrote um, down 28, and, and even at 28, that's a little older than average for a law student. That was my yeah. question. Yeah, the subtitles uh, transcript at subslikescript.com uh, the subtitle says it's 28. So All right. mm, there it is. So yeah, no, I, I'm not sure. We we maybe could have passed him off as 38. Maybe that would be a stretch, but not 48. Woo. Well, that kind of would have defeated the purpose of the story a little uh, bit too. I yeah. Mean, he has to be considerably that, younger. That's why I need to delete some notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he comes in and he is all business. Like he's not even through the threshold of the door when he says, okay, you want to get started? Walk straight over to the stereo, turns off the music. We won't be needing this. Rude. Uh, Who comes yeah. into somebody else's house and turns off their stereo? Thank you. How do you even know how to turn off the stereo? It's right? Like, causes point. me anxiety when somebody's like, just turn on my TV. And I'm like, uh... I don't know what button on which remote does what. So I can imagine those. I'm well, back then, though, it was just like, here's the off button and the volume dial, I guess. So, but yeah, I don't know. I just was, I had a problem with him just walking over, being, don't need this. Click. Get the fuck off my stereo. <laughs> Granted, was it, it was Cinemax porn music that she. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Christ. Nice. Yeah, the nice uh industrial prepaid uh what do they call them? Needle drop music. No royalty issues here. Yeah, exactly. No. Exactly. So uh yeah, and I will continue that thought, Matthew, that he's he's an asshole, and it is so completely incongruous with the person he will become in just a few short moments, where you almost <laughs> have to wonder like 
couldn't they have written him something to the effect of, hey, blah, blah, and have even Blair do it? Well, you're all business, aren't you? And have him say, well, yeah, I've got a paper due tomorrow. And one of my professors says, I'm, I'm actually not really having a great day, but I really did want to help you with this. You know, kind of something to sort of excuse that him being aware that he's a little brusque right now. He could have just been like, uh, you have pert little titties and I really like saggy ones with stretch marks. So. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. Matthew. Imagine know what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lady on the podcast, Matthew. I'm sorry. I'm Damn it, I forgot to learn where my pearls so that I could clutch them at this moment. <laughs> Wait till we drop the C-bomb. Uh, <laughs> Which Shelly does not do on Lions, Towers, and Shields, by the way. I don't like it either, Shelly. He okay. does it. Oh, He's blaming him, eh, Matthew? All right. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> so while Blair is trying to make some sort of connection, down the stairs comes Beverly Ann. And she mentions in passing that she's looking for the phone book. Remember when we used to have to look for the phone book? because uh, she was thinking she would call someplace to try and buy Andy some boxing gloves so he could practice and maybe have some skills to defend himself against this bully. Well, someone flips a switch in Mr. Larry, our third year all business and no play law student. And he quickly is like, oh, I did some boxing. And hey, well, what, what what's about, who is this kid you're talking about? That's so interesting. Wow. And tell uh, me well, more about your teenage child. No, <laughs> stop. He does yeah. say, well, what does your husband think about all this? That's a nice, smooth way to get out of her that she's not married. Um, so they're just and she like, gets to make another ex-husband joke, which, of course, Beverly Ann has to do all the time. Yeah. And since we know it's now against Dick Van Patten, we are on board. Because... <laughs> we're fine. We're fine with it. I agree with you. Uh... Yeah. Can, can I can I bring up one little continuity thing that I please enjoyed? do? I, I thought you would, too. So when Beverly Ann is coming down the stairs, she says to Blair, oh, Joe took your bed because the mattress is softer. And I thought, well, why would she say that? And then later when we go upstairs, in fact, we see Joe in the bed that Blair usually occupies. And I thought, well, why'd they do that? And I'm assuming that it was easier to shoot because right next to that bed is the door where Natalie and Tootie come out and Joe's bed is up on that little platform thing. And I, I that's all only reason I can think of that they would mention that other than just having Beverly Ann have something to say coming down the stairs. Anyway, it was just weird. Well, uh, I thought that that too. And the only thing I came up with, because I'm so vain, Shelly, is that um, Joe didn't want to be filmed laying down with her chin facing the camera. Ooh, I like that too. <laughs> you know what I, that, I, I was like, like that. Why did right? they do that? Because she's usually filmed from the she's filmed from the side in both cases where she's on that bed and where she's on the couch. Yeah, but I'll but buy I... either or both of those explanations. <laughs> <laughs> And I would add directorially down in Blair's bed, you do have the ability to, for, for people to stand behind the bed. Right. Facing the camera as opposed and to Blair it sits been, on the bed later too. Yeah. It would have been clumpy and odd in the blocking. Not that that's ever stopped this show. We've had <laughs> our, our clumpy odd blocking in, in spades here, but uh, no, it's really quite, uh, it, it does, I think work, but it did not even occur to me that they justified that for how often I want them to provide lines justifying weird things yeah. they actually did there. 
it didn't dawn on me either that she said that. And I actually spent the whole time thinking, why is she in Blair's bed? <laughs> Other than and, and I realized she because is. she didn't want to be filmed looking like Jabba the Hutt from that camera <laughs> angle. Yep. So uh, Beverly Ann at one point does say, well, here I'm going on. You, you two are here to study. I'll go. And Larry is like, no, 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 you're not bothering us. And so we have the Captain Obvious blocking with the two of them on either side of Blair and Blair kind of having to play this game of ping pong and acting annoyed. The fact that, you know, Beverly Ann is at the moment just, you know, cramping her style. Uh, so anyway, Blair heads on upstairs to kind of get away from the situation. Which and- makes him even more predatory to me like i'm sorry this guy's acting wore me out and the fact that he's so business 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 a lady with a child Mm. (laughs) and then suddenly he starts almost talking like bella lugosi for god's sake he's like he's like in front of her I, i can't think of one of his lines but he's like oh like he's william shatner i guess he's like i'll (laughs) call you and then you won't. Oh, get up. Uh, all right, creeper. Get away from my son. No, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Usually I'm the one that goes into child molester suspicion territory. This is funny, Matthew, that I did not even think to go there. And also the TV trope of we're going to teach that boy how to defend himself and boxing lesson. Okay. With boxing you know gloves. Yeah. 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 Like you just like, I don't know. I mean, it's just you're getting bullied at school. Suddenly you're going to be like, boo, 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 I'm Rocky Balboa. I, I, you'd get bullied more, I think, if you start well, pulling out have, boxing moves. You're not going to have the gloves on when you encounter your bully. Hi, excuse me. Could you wait yeah. while I strap on my boxing gloves so that I can beat yeah. you up? Yeah. Tape me up, mother trucker. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> You got the gym teacher like Burgess Meredith. Slice, <laughs> slice the eye, Andy. Slice the eye. Uh, all right, clever. All right, clever Lang. Uh huh. So at the beginning of this scene in the bedroom, where we first see Joe in the bed recuperating, there is a bit of a scene that is cut from the syndicated version, and it's simply initiating this bit of Joe being propped up by pillows. Later, when Natalie comes in, there's a thing of her saying, Joe, you should have a pillow. We know you shouldn't. And Tootie and Natalie arguing about what treatment to pursue. Should they be applying heat? Should they be applying ice to her injury and all that? But this is just beginning with some, it's really just filler. It's just packing peanuts of Tootie saying, well, you should have two pillows. Maybe you should have one. Oh, you should be laying flat. And it's just moderately funny. It's like, meh. And then Blair comes in, checks the mirror because she is like, okay, something is wrong here because I'm turning on the charm and this dumbass is not falling for it. Is is something wrong? Have I lost it? No, because if you had lost it, he would be attracted to you. Oh, <laughs> but it's a chance for Joe to, to lob a few quips at her and insult her and uh, give Joe some dialogue since she can't move around. Uh, the scene isn't that long and it's not that important. And then we come back downstairs to Beverly Ann and Larry still talking and <laughs> throwing heads back. And now Beverly Ann is planning to cook with a wok for the first time. And I just don't know what to, the, a wok is such an exotic 
form of cooking, isn't it? And I guess in 87, it kind of sort of was, you know, a little bit. And, and Larry offers the deep insight that you need to wait till the oil is smoking. I'm like, I, I, I don't feel like that's a particularly complex concept to grasp if Beverly Ann has done stir fry before, but I don't know that we have a great sense of her cooking skills, but it's, it seemed pretty basic to me. Yeah. She is not right. a great cook. There are references to them. Like there's an episode where she goes, I continue baking because I like it. Not if people eat it, you know, like she, then like they've, she's like, here's some bread and all, she's baked bread before and everything. But like, I think we've established she's not a very good cook. Uh, yeah. Or at the very least, she's a weird cook. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. Cloris Leachman yeah. is a weird actress and Beverly Ann is mm-hmm. a very weird character. Um, But as they're talking about food and all that and him giving her pointers, well, uh, Blair is the one who suggests he stay for dinner, thinking maybe this is how I'm going to, I don't, again, what is Blair's, what is Blair's end game? We know it's not because she wants to fuck this dude, but whatever. Anyhow, uh, Blair suggests that and he's like, oh, of course. So then Andy uh, comes into the room and Larry introduces himself and says, hey, I understand you're having issues, whatever. And Blair says, well, let's get away from all this talk about the bully and stuff. Let's go for a nice, long, implied romantic walk. And he says, yeah, let's do that. And Andy can come along and we can go by the sporting goods store and buy him some boxing gloves. Ha ha! Like you do. And we'll pick out a jock strap for him. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, let's take a long romantic walk. Come along. Oh, come God. along, Andy. I'm so scared what else is coming because I did not uh, watch this episode through that lens. Oh, my God. Ugh. I just found him creepy creeperson. Wow. So well, can later- we talk about also... When, when Andy comes in in that scene, he's carrying a weed whacker and they say, why? And he says, spider repellent, the impression left is that he's going to somehow harm the guy with the weed whacker, which seems about as effective as boxing gloves. It's like you're going to hit the guy with a long stick that has a, I don't know, it seems like an odd yeah. weapon. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> Let me hang on, spider. I got to start my weed <laughs> and put on my boxing gloves yeah. while we yeah. do it. It's harder to start this thing when I've got my boxing gloves on. <laughs> and oh shit, I need to get the gas can out of my locker. Okay, wait right there. Right. Wait right there. Uh, wait. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> tell tarantula to come. Oh, we haven't met him yet. But tell we him haven't to met come the, on, hang we out haven't met you. the tarantula now. <laughs> So then we go to a later scene, still in the living room. Now Andy has boxing gloves on. Larry is helping him with uh, some fighting techniques. Uh, And uh, he also did help Beverly Ann with dinner. And clearly they shared some additional delightful conversation. And then uh, he says to Blair, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't get much studying done. You know, that thing that I was 100% laser focused on when I walked in the door? Yeah, sorry. But hey, Beverly Ann, can I see those photos of yours that you promised to show me? The ones you took on your trip out here? Meaning the pictures when she drove the Winnebago from Appleton. Appleton, right. To Peekskill. And of course, she's like, oh, well, let me get the photo albums. And the girls are like, "Uh, well, I have to go uh, clean out my purse. I've got to go split the atom. Get me the fuck out of here. Because they clearly don't want to see Beverly Ann's photos. 
Well, they've seen them many times is the assumption. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I imagine the first time even wasn't that great because it's Beverly Ann and she tells stories that we don't want to hear and she cooks <laughs> food that we don't want to eat. And yet we're so happy she's here for some reason because, you know, she watches the store. No. Mm-hmm. What store? Wait, is there a store? I forgot oh. what store. Oh, yes. Oh, well, I yes. know we haven't seen the store. It's about time for you to rant about there not being a store, I'm sure. <laughs> I feel like I have a note about it later. I feel like there's a everybody sitting around mm. the living room moment later. So let's see if that happens. If not, we will just at this point just say, FYI, no over our heads this episode. We're now eight into the season and we've not seen it. Correct, Matthew? Nary a mention. Oh, Wow. You're right. You are so right. Damn. That's why it's going to be even that much funnier when we get to the episode and they say, no, the store's not really turning much of a profit. Maybe we should consider. (laughs) It's oh, oh, really? Tell me more. I wonder why. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out if the set is still just sitting there. Because the, the, the few times, the one time that Natalie exited through that door, we didn't get to see the set. And you used to be able to see that that was the set was next door to that room, but it, I, I just want is the set just sitting there getting dusty? That's a good question. When we get to the episode, I will do a deep dive. But a listener did write in to me and say, "By the way, do you notice that in the episode where they sell over our heads, they do show it?" But he says it looks like I'm saying he because in my brain I believe it was a male listener. Uh, they show the set, but he says it looks like a, a makeshift set, like it's it's just a, a temporary thing. Like a so it's not kind of a thing. Yeah, it's not the full set that we're used to seeing. So I will do a deep dive analysis when we get there. For sure. It is possible we have already seen the last of the official over our heads. Wow. Which may be kind of tragical when you think about it. I just wonder what set, like, did the community center set replace it? Um, probably. Well, and there's that new uh, kitchen now, too. It's a smaller room, right? But you have the community mm, center. Yeah, community center at least is a bigger space. Yeah, that, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. We'll see. It's exciting to get into season nine. Maybe Diana knows. We'll have to ask the costumer when we get her uh, back next time in the show. We'll have to ask her. Put a pin in that. So, um... So the girls all clear out because they don't want to look at Beverly Ann's photos. Uh, Larry compliments Beverly Ann's photography. And before Blair has time to move in again or approach the concept of studying or them being alone, uh, he's like, well, peace out, bitches. And he says, Beverly Ann, I never had more fun stir frying. And Beverly Ann says, your army stories were priceless. Right, Where did that come from? Exactly. Maybe that explains why he's 28 and in law school. Because he took some time not to be in the army. Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. Yes, that is right. Wow. Wow. The the writers are smarter than we thought, I guess. (laughs) Yes. Wait a minute. I mean, let's not go into that. (laughs) I'm just just I'm making justifications that may or may not have occurred to anyone. (laughs) No, (laughs) you're connecting dots. That's great. That's what this podcast is about. <laughs> so many dots. <laughs> but you know, when you tell stories when you're in the army, priceless. Those are that's that's a word that comes to mind, isn't it? 
<laughs> when you kill those Especially guys when you're trying combat. to impress a woman you'd like to go out with uh, yeah so let me tell you woman about my army stories about that time i was in a foxhole and threw a grenade or whatever it was i did uh those big open showers with all those other <laughs> army men <laughs> the barracks where you could smell the feet and balls of other <laughs> army men uh, oh, you want to hear more? Oh, that's <laughs> priceless. Oh, so yeah. priceless. It's priceless. <laughs> so it's a panty dropper. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Blair is a little peeved and obvious. This is a read the room moment. We have many of these read the room moment. It's like, can you not see that, that Blair is a little pissed off at all this and has been likely through the entire meal? But anyway, so uh, she leaves and uh, he leaves and Beverly Ann's left alone, knock at the door. He comes back, he left behind a book or something. Is that what it is? It's a book, yeah, that's right, it's a book. That's, that's what yeah, that's behind. what he accidentally left behind. And then he kisses her. We get some romantical music. And then Beverly Ann kisses him back. Blair comes out of the bedroom, the wrong bedroom, I will reiterate. She comes out of Beverly Ann's bedroom. What in the fuck, John Boab? <clears throat> and Blair sees the kiss happen, and it's kind of a... Ooh, romantic moment, but also a little bit of a, oh. But let's discuss this kiss. I want to know what you guys think about this kiss. Shelly, as, as our beloved special guest, what are your thoughts on this, this kiss that they shared? Well, first of all, there were two, because as you say, he kisses her and she kisses her back. I'm sorry, the, the initial kiss, yes. Right, um, and, and the, the, I'm, there's a reason I make that point, because later they talk about the kiss, and I can't remember, did Blair see both of them or did she just see when Beverly Ann kissed him back? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but in any case, for writing economy, I understand why they would do that. I realize I'm avoiding your question, but I'm just saying <laughs> later on in the episode, when they talk about the kiss, I kept thinking, but there were two, one oh. from him and one from her. I'm so. impressed. That's, that's microscopic. <laughs> To Burn a level out, I didn't even Burn go out. to. That's what we do. I love so, that. But again, I understand from writing economy why you wouldn't say the kisses because that would just sound weird. But yeah. In any case. Yeah. So yeah, like it's, I don't know. I mean, they, they shot it in the way you shoot kisses that do not appear authentical because it's like, you know, his, his head is, my, my memory is, see now this, I didn't get microscopic on this. My memory is that you see it's filmed from his back. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. And so, so it's like they're, they're doing, they go in, they tilt their heads and there's, you know, she reaches up and puts her arms around his neck at first. So it's, it's clearly intended to have some passion behind it, but it's also, it's, it's sitcom kissing, right? It's, it's not particularly. Yeah. Excited. It's sitcom kissing. Yeah. Matthew, what are your thoughts? Clearly I uh, have thoughts, but I'm, I'm waiting to hear what you all have to say. Creeper Creeperson. I mean, <laughs> but I'm glad that they they added that second kiss because I I didn't want Beverly Ann to appear that like I was afraid they were going to end the scene with her being like, oh my goodness, he just kissed me. Right. But the fact that they threw in her being like, 
Um, okay. I'm into it. Yeah, let's <laughs> let, let's do this. And um, I have I've listened to the office. The only thing I kept thinking was there's an Office Ladies podcast where they talk about the episode where Cloris Leachman is in the movie with Jack Black. Yes, and they talked to the actor that did a deleted scene with Cloris Leachman where they had to make out like really heavily make out. And she said to him before they said action, she goes, okay, when we do this, go all in. I want you to put your finger in my crack. And like, she was just <laughs> vulgar with him. And he was, nice. He, he was like, all right, sister. So I kind of was wondering how Cloris filmed this. So she was like, oh no, <laughs> put your finger in my crack. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I appreciated that they gave her that consent and that I'm I'm here for it. I didn't I didn't want them to anyway. Yeah. I was wondering if either of you picked up on uh, the question mark in my brain as to whether the initial kiss was consensual. It is shot mm. like you like you said Shelley, it's kind of shot from his his back. But it's very low in the frame, almost out of frame, where he just walks up and puts his hands on her waist. And she lifts up her arms in kind of a surprise, like, oh, what is happening? And then he pulls her toward him. And the kiss happens. And I was kind of like, whoa. And thank God they added the second kiss where she was, oh, this is happening. I'm all in. It was like, Thank you. If it had just been that first kiss, ooh, I, I, I would have been deeply uncomfortable with cutting to commercial there. Yeah. But him taking Andy for a walk no. didn't bother you? <laughs> <laughs> no. I didn't notice what you were talking about, David. I, I guess the thing that made it work for me was that as he's leaving, they're doing that thing where, he, well, good night. Good night. Yeah. And he kind of leans in and she kind of leans in and you, and there's a question like you, you know that there is a question as to whether a kiss is going to happen. And that's the point I suppose at which his method gets a little uncomfortable. I'd have to watch it again, but because there was that sort of, hi, I'm thinking about kissing you. Are you thinking about kissing me? It, yeah. it, it didn't feel weird to me, but if I watched it again, I might see exactly what you saw. I don't know. Yeah. I'm on team Shelley. I, you, I, like I feel I feel no I feel the same way you did like I felt like yeah she knew he was coming in for a kiss like it was like so okay. I, I I felt less bad but I am glad that they didn't end the scene with her being like oh he just kissed me oh no which like, is kind of the way she says it later when she admits it yeah and and I mm -hmm. guess that's why the two kiss thing I mean regardless of whether you literally have to say he kissed me and then I kissed him back there's a tone of surprise in the way the way she describes it it's kind of like well and then he kissed me and i don't know what to think like you knew what to think at the time honey yeah. you kissed him back yeah <laughs> 28 year old wants to make out with me i'm like uh okay <laughs> i'm in totally. or a 48 year old from <laughs> from from my notes i <laughs> Yeah. No, no reasonable offers refused at this stage of the game. The fact that I thought he was 48 didn't help the problem I had with his interest in Andy. Oh, so, oh no. that. so I'm just trying to salvage an, uh, my notes here and my incorrect assumptions. It's true. I know 28 year olds who are less mature than this 
14-year-old Andy. Why do you know 28-year-olds? Why are there 20 of them? <laughs> well, um, Jesus Christ. Jeez. Oh, Can't <sighs> take him anywhere. Okay. Come on! <laughs> Sheboygan! Uh, okay, we are now at commercial. It is on that note that we go to commercial. And Shelly, commercial time is the time we like to get to know our guest a little bit better. Now, I first uh, was introduced to you because, well, you you found me. You wrote me a little fan letter saying that you had discovered the podcast and you were enjoying it, and it was the sweetest thing ever. Aww. I'm so glad you didn't mention me. I get embarrassed so easily. <laughs> Matthew, you weren't a regular at that time. I wrote him back in, I think you were doing season five at that time. It was, you, I think you were doing some episodes, but not all of them. But no. Matthew, I absolutely would have mentioned you. I'm the, you been... I'm the cousin Oliver. I'm, oh, I'm no. <laughs> Adding me terrible. was when the podcast jumped the shark. I am the shark. <laughs> Yeah, no, it had was... nothing to do with season nine. <laughs> no, nothing at all. But yeah, Matthew always says that that would be BM before Matthew. So yeah. uh, yes. But uh, yeah, so you wrote me a, a nice little fan letter and I saw that you had your website at the bottom. So I started stalking you a little bit and I was like, wait a minute, she has a podcast like too. To and she's a, a writer and a, a, a published author. So I'm fascinated by your book, iOS Access for All. How about, uh, can you explain to our tens of listeners a little bit more about what that's about? That is a book about the accessibility features for the iPhone and iPad. So if you have a vision disability or a hearing disability, or if you're, you have difficulty touching the device, there are all sorts of accessibility features inside of there. And uh, that's what the book is about. It covers all of them because there isn't another resource like that. My background is as a technology writer. I worked for tech magazines back in the day, and I've written another, a number of books that are about just general technology. But for the past few years, this has kind of been my project. And every time Apple says, let's have a new operating system, I go, oh, fine, I'll write you another book. And, uh, <laughs> so that's, that's what I do. <laughs> and, and you update it every single, I was going to say every year, but every operating system. Every year. Every year. Or, so it's the, the 10th anniversary will be out in, oh, in whenever I get it published in November. Great. Probably, that's, yeah. that's exciting. Congratulations. A decade. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I have to say, this is one of those things where, you know, as an able-bodied person, it never, ever occurred to me to think about what does the iPhone do? What can the iPhone do for people with visual or auditory disabilities? It's like just not even in the realm of my thought. And I was like, oh, this is- I'm fascinated with it, if I may interrupt, because I got tired of not talking. <laughs> I find it fascinating because David, like you, I, I, I have that, that able-bodied, what's it called? Um, prejudice. Uh, no, not prejudice, privilege. <laughs> that that able-bodied privilege, I guess. Um, where until I saw somebody one time, on their iPhone, obviously FaceTiming, and they were signing to the person. And I thought, how wonderful that, like, you know, what deaf person had a use for a phone before iPhones and FaceTiming and things like that came along. And it never dawned on me. And then I realized how wonderful that was. And there's actually a feature in FaceTime that when it detects that somebody is signing, it brings that image to the forefront so that person the signing is more visible like if you're in a group facetime call if you're talking with three or four people the signer gets the bigger image isn't that so, wonderful yeah it's cool 
Wow. If you can't see, you can have the phone speak both the interface to you as well as the content. It can read to you. Uh, if you have a hearing disability, you can have the phone turn speech into text. You know, you've seen captions on YouTube videos and it's, it's you know, something like that. Or you can uh, turn the function of the phone on that will uh, sh obviously show closed captions if you're watching a video or if you are... Um, uh, watching a movie that has audio description, it will turn that on. So, and there are all sorts of features for people who have difficulty touching the device. If you can't swipe and tap and all that stuff, there's some features that make it easier for, for folks to do that. And that, all that stuff is like hidden deep down in the settings and people who need those features don't always know where to get the information. And so I just started making this book and it gets bigger every time I do it. Yeah, and, it, and it's clearly filling a need that there there really isn't other than you know the technically the manual that comes with every apple device which is a big ass website full of a crap ton of text and confusing descriptions so and doesn't uh, have it all in there right so i read that too and i'm like oh well, this is the stuff they didn't tell you well let me tell you some more about oh it. wow well that's great i'll put a link in the show notes uh to your Thank book you. IOS Access for All, your comprehensive guide to accessibility for iPhone and iPad. Uh, I have to say that I am in love with your bi-weekly podcast called Lions, Towers, and Shields. And uh, let me give you a chance to plug it and explain what it is. It took me a few minutes to synthesize what the title was talking about. But uh, let me let you, in your own words, tell us about your show. So the show is a classic movie podcast, just as you recap the facts of life. We recap one classic film per episode, and by classic, I mean generally from 1930 to 1960, the classic Hollywood era. The title refers to, if you've ever watched movies from that era, you see MGM movies, Lions, you see RKO movies, Towers, you see Warner Brothers movies, Shields, and so that's sort of where the title comes from. But we get a panel of uh, guests, sometimes they're friends of mine, sometimes they're fellow podcasters, sometimes they're people like David that I drag in off the street and say, yes, you know you want to podcast about classic movies. And uh, we talk about them, and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing that show. Well, I had a great time when I got to join your, your posse there discussing Kiss Me, Kate, and it's one of my favorite MGM musicals. And uh, even though I studied film in college, there is... Uh, there is so much of old movies, which I claim to love, and yet I have seen a lot fewer of them than I ever really understood. So with your podcast now, I have this curated list of films to see. It's like, oh, what are they going to be talking about uh, next episode? Great. I will find it, rent it, download it, and uh, watch it. Yay. And then listen to y'all do your lively discussion. And I, I recommend it to folks who are into that, who are into classic cinema. Thank you for asking. I would be happy to be a guest. Um, well, Matthew, you have, I'd, be happy, I'd be delighted to have you. I know you talk about, I know you talk about old movies. We and do. If, you, if you'd like to choose any Ethel Merman movie, I am here for it. Alexander's Ragtime Band, perhaps. I'll accept that one. Oh, oh God, okay, well, yeah. pick one then. You choose. Uh, to be um, honest, it's the only Ethel Merman movie. It's what movies did Ethel do? And I couldn't think of one. And that's there's the no business like oh, show yeah. business. There's right. there's a Call Me Madam is her best performance. All right. But there's no business like show business is more fun to talk about because of the rest of the cast and Marilyn Monroe's in it. It's... I will put those on my long list. Maybe I should just have you two <laughs> do that with me because <gasps> 
I, I'm not sure if I can convince my regulars to watch a quote unquote, you know, a musical that is less than, they get sort of picky sometimes. My, some of my regulars <laughs> are like, oh, this movie isn't all that great. I'm like, yeah, but it's fun. It's campy or whatever. I should just have you guys do that one with me. We should, we would fun. love to do that. We all could, right. We all could, right. Yes, have us. We would love to talk about it. All right. I'd well, well, Shelly Brisbane, I'm so thrilled to have uh, shared time with you on your podcast, to have you here sharing time on ours. But enough about you. We have a conundrum. We have a situation. We have a brouhaha, as it were, where we need to deal with what is going on with Beverly Ann and this younger man. Uh, so we start back from commercial with a little short scene that is cut from syndication. It is nighttime. And Blair is wide awake and uh, she needs to talk to Joe and wakes Joe up. We know she's already told Joe. She's like, I can't stop thinking about what I saw. You know, that thing. And uh, of course, Joe is like, oh, come on. And Blair is questioning, why would he prefer Beverly Ann to me and all this? And uh, we have to note, Blair Warner apparently sleeps in a full face of makeup. When she is sitting on Joe's bed talking to her, she is full beat, <laughs> full beat, ladies and gentlemen, and others. So the situation, the scene pretty much ends with Joe being Joe and saying a beautiful Joe line, drop it, you'll get over it. Hey. <laughs> so when we come back from this, uh, this scene that's missing, it's only like a minute and minute and a half scene. It's a fairly short scene, but then we come back breakfast time. They're all sitting around again. No one's minding the store. Blair is eating her fiber on cereal. Did you notice? Did you notice? <laughs> the fiber on. <laughs> As opposed to her foot loops. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Beverly Ann is just, oh, good morning, everybody. Isn't it wonder? Isn't it a beautiful day? Uh, and she says a, a line that I really love. I, and I'm saying this is a line written that I love. I can't remember when I felt so young or so old. I think that That's was a, a line. beautiful like line. Yep. So fortunately, it's not like there's a secret. It's not like this thing she's not talking about and Blair saw her and she doesn't know that Blair saw. She goes right into it and says, we kissed last night and I, I don't know how I feel. Do I really like him? Or am I just flattered? Again, another really good, absolutely appropriate line as someone who may have dated someone a bit younger than myself. Just saying. Uh -huh. Stop. Um, well, and it saves us from the trope of, oh my God, I don't want Blair to find out. Because she and Blair, Blair have they had the conversation where Blair's, where Beverly Ann's like, you know, I'll back off if he's, if you're into him. But uh, they don't they don't go through the whole trope of oh i hope blair doesn't find out about the kiss you know yeah go right past that yeah it's true i think that does happen in this scene but blair is kind of being snide the whole time she's being snide she is yeah and and this is it yeah and she says oh oh blair were were you interested in him it's like again read the room come on come on but uh, she's a say I'll back off and Blair's like oh no I'm not interested but then Blair woof, goes for the jugular man she says you yeah. and Larry look ridiculous together you look like his mother 
And thank God we have oof. a oof indeed. And the reaction shot of Tootie and Natalie, bravo. That was a win, Mr. Boab, where looking at how they are like, they, they, I mean, again, thought bubble was fuck, dude. Damn, that was savage. And uh, yeah, so right after this happens, Larry calls and clearly through what we hear on Beverly Ann's side of the conversation, he wants to go out with her that night. And she says she can't, she has other plans. He calls for um, a date before 8 a.m. How do we feel about that? Because they say it's not quite eight yet. And then he calls. Like, well, mean, she also says that he wants to see me again tonight. So it implies that after the kiss, the conversation before he left was, can I see you again tomorrow? I presume like yeah. that. So this is, again, maybe this is where we're into the creeping, the creepers in territory, like <laughs> ring, ring. You're, we're still getting together, right? You didn't give me an answer and I, I need an answer. I don't know. Later, next scene, we're still in the living room, still in this living room, and they're playing cards. This is where I wrote, who is minding the store? They have a silly bit where the girls are at the table, but Joe is laying on the couch. So Tootie is having to walk back and forth as they are playing gin, I guess. Because, you know, yes. when you're in your late teens or early 20s, you got some spare time to cut loose with your girlfriends. I, I can't think of anything but a good old game of gin. Can you? Well, I was afraid. I was afraid they were playing bridge. Oh God! And that, <laughs> that, that, I that <laughs> yeah, that I would have had a problem with. So I was very <laughs> thankful actually when when Joe finally said gin, but her back is out and she's sitting upright. Why wouldn't? Why isn't she at the table? Yeah. I get it. I you mean, get more support from the couch. Her? I get that. I mean. But but why aren't but they do... sitting around the couch? Why aren't they around the what right? They, right? Why don't they just pull their chairs over there? Yeah, it's just a silly, silly visual joke. I like Tootie getting up and walk in in yeah. earrings and her hat, which I think is hilarious. Mm. Uh, walking over <laughs> to give Joe card, and I don't know gin, so I don't know the rules of it. But there's a thing where Blair says the name of the card, and Joe yeah. says whether she wants it or not, and I I just have to adjust to the fact that I don't know the rules and just accept it and go, okay, well, that's the mechanic of the game. And then 2D goes over and takes cards and gives cards. I thought it was cute. If it had gone on any longer, it would have been annoying. Yeah. But, and it's, it's a way to have Joe in a scene, I guess. I thought it was a pretty funny scene. The, I mean, slapsticky. And you know what it was? It was whimsical. It was whimsical, Dave. Whimsical, yeah. It was whimsical. That's why I had trouble with it. I, I really need to <laughs> I really need to up my whimsy game, clearly, when it comes to season <laughs> nine. <sighs> so the conversation while they're playing the the card game, Joe does say something to the effect of, uh, it's a shame about Beverly Ann and Larry. At which point Blair goes on the defensive and it's like, Oh, is that directed at me? Are you thinking it's because of you know, something I did. And they actually say, no, it was just a statement. A little bit of this was cut from syndication. But basically, Blair says to them, because you're thinking what I said was insensitive and hurtful. And and then I think Joe even says, and, and then she lands on selfish. So this is actually a very good scene because it's the girls showing Blair the error of her ways, her hearing it. and. As soon as Beverly Ann walks into the room, Blair apologizes and says, go out with him. At which point, Beverly Ann picks up the phone and 
presumably knowing his phone number by heart, starts to dial. Maybe she's star 69 because he called, you know, a minute ago asking her out. I don't know. Star 69 was very new in the late 80s, you realize, if that was Fair even point. a thing. Fair point. With that, we now come into the final scene of the show. It's Beverly Ann and Larry returning from a date where they went to some sort of a carnival. Clearly, it wasn't the the with the fall carnival, the winter carnival. What was that really, really super important carnival last week? What's the winter carnival, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so we talked about that was an important fucking event. And yet somehow they'd been at some sort of a thing where Larry had to throw a ball into a hoop or, or a ring around a clown in order to win this gigantic teddy bear for Beverly Ann. So I don't know what what's with this uh, epidemic of carnivals in Peekskill. <laughs> Did you guys get any other... To which you wear a blazer, you know, because that's yeah. how you dress to go to a carnival. I know. What's that about? Well, if Tootie can wear a hat indoors, sitting around. With in earrings. Full makeup with hat, <laughs> earrings, heels, and pantyhose. Yeah. Then mm -hmm. this dude can wear a, a blazer, absolutely, to the circus or the sideshow, whatever it is. Um, Beverly Ann asks, how is everything here? And I wanted someone to answer, well, nobody's watching the store. But what's going on here is that Blair brings the news that Andy has a black eye. He tried to defend himself against Spider. He succeeded, but then Spider's brother, Tarantula, showed up and gave him a shiner. And then creepy McCreeperson suggests putting some meat on Andy's face. No, no, stop! <laughs> Putting a steak on a shiner. That is such a TV trope. It is totally a TV trope. Yeah. And and the whole idea is that it's because a steak would be cold, right? It's like, oh, you, you know, we have this other miraculous invention called ice that you can also put on a shiner to... to. Anyway, yeah. So then our scene takes a very fast turn for the weird. Larry says, maybe I should talk with his father. And Beverly Ann's like, no, that's okay. And he says, well, it's kind of a thing a, a father should do. And Beverly Ann, to her credit, and this is in the writing, she says, I don't necessarily agree with you. Meaning that a, a boy doesn't have to have a male father figure to handle something like this. A, a mother can also be of use. But then he gets into maybe this would be good practice because, you know, maybe someday I might be his father. What is happening? <laughs> and slow down, buddy. <laughs> yeah, slow your roll, dude. And Beverly Ann's like, Whoa. and he's like, now I'm not proposing to you, but what I'm saying is uh, eventually I want to get married. And when I go out with someone I like, I do think about it. And he says, like, don't you? And Beverly Ann's like, actually, no, I don't. Uh, I do. I do too. I thought <laughs> I do I'm like, too. I'm like, day one, can I see myself married to this person? If the answer is no, I'm like, mm, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. And I'm I mean, she she could have just been freaked out by how quickly he said it. She may or may not. And Beverly Ann, through you know everything she says about her marriage, it's all jokey, jokey. But it's mm -hmm. clearly it was not a good marriage. And so she may, at that point in her life, have said, you know what, I don't plan to get married again. But even yeah. if she didn't feel that way, 
he's leaning hard on her and i can see her going uh not thinking about it right now pal i mean yeah and that is canon for her in that because in australia the guy was like marry me and she's like i like my freedom too much Mm -hmm. but um I, i i i guess i can respect her like having the ability to be like just going on dates having a good time i don't have that ability yeah, I'm like with day you. one. I'm like, okay, what am I gonna wear to the wedding? Ugh. Yes, <laughs> and and she also like, I mean, she got over the she got over the hurdle of I'm gonna date this guy who's considerably younger than me, but she may still have, and it doesn't come up. To their credit, I'm glad they didn't feel like they had to bring it back up, but she could still be thinking, it's really fun hanging out with a younger guy. He's a good kisser. He looks good. Whatever. But wait, marriage? Uh, I that's a whole other subject that I don't want to contemplate, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's the weirdest of the weirdest lines in this show is when she says, I don't think about it. He says, well, then why bother to date? And then he adds, I'm too old to date just for the heck of it at 28. (laughs) What's the matter, dude? Your biological (laughs) clock ticking or something? (laughs) And I suppose like you could you could sort of deep dive and say, okay, you're too old, so you're gonna get married to a woman that's you know 30 years older than 61, you. 61. Well, you're not gonna by the way. You're not gonna have kids. You're you're so anyway, I don't know. I feels like that feels like too deep thought, too deep a thought for this little sitcom episode, but you know. Yeah, like I said, it turns it turns very sharply into this whole thing. And then as if that's not enough. Then we have the point where he says, I hate this part. And she says, what part? And he says, the part where you say it's getting late. And then I say, I'll call you. And I never do. And then continuing with the scene, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. She says, well, how do you know? Meaning, how do you know you're never going to call? And he says, I guess I don't. So he kisses her on the cheek and he says, I'll call you. And out he goes and she takes a moment and thinks. And then Beverly Ann sighs and to herself, she says, but it is getting late. And up the stairs she goes, roll the credits. I I, I was like, this is, this ending is so weird. I want to hear y'all's thoughts because I don't think I've fully sorted through what I'm thinking. I thought it was weird. I also, I don't know. I don't know if it's a sitcom trope or not, but I know Facts of Life have done it before where there's a scene where they say, okay, we're not going to have a conversation, but we're going to talk about the conversation we would have. First, you say this, and then I say this, and then you say this. And we've seen that before. Yes. I find it incredibly annoying and weird. And it's like, look, I get you're trying to get out. You've got 22 minutes or whatever, but yeah. I don't, it, it doesn't allow the viewer the time to process whatever emotional import, which are weird words to say about a sitcom, uh, that this conversation might have. And so I'm just stuck on that. Regard, and the, the whole ending thing, like we got to get out of here. We're, he's not a recurring character. We have to get out. So the way we're going to get out is have this weird scene that is supposed to be oddly poignant, but it's just like, you just shake your head and go, what, what? what? Yeah. What? So what happened? So yeah. So right. was this a good experience for? Does she feel good or not good about this? It's it's odd. Anyhow, Matthew, what are you thinking? I think it's a device <clears throat> to leave you 
to think whatever you want, David. <laughs> it's one of those that we are so used to having a sitcom that does wrap it up perfectly by the end, but this episode didn't. And it's kind of like that episode of the golden girls where Blanche dates that guy who wants to treat her like a lady and she's never been treated like a lady. And then Rose says, how did it feel? And she goes like a lady and walks off. So is she going to continue dating this guy or is she turning over a new leaf? I don't know. Yeah. So is is Beverly Ann upset? Is she uh, the the brilliance of Cloris Leachman was her delivery of that line, leaving it to the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's getting mm-hmm. late. And it was like, uh, uh, oh, I don't know if I should feel bad or if she's like, this is the ball game. You know, yeah. I don't. So I, I, I enjoyed the ending. Hmm. I. I I do like that final moment. I don't think I would change that. But I think in the the rewrite, I want to send to the to the writers in my time machine. I almost feel like, what if instead of him diving in so deeply with, you know, I'll go talk to the other kid's dad. This is a father thing. I could maybe be his father someday. Why not make it be something like, I think it's great you have Andy. I think it's wonderful. I really want to have a family of my own. And and maybe saying, you know, I'm I'm really anxious to start building a family and all that. And then have Beverly Ann say, yeah, well, let me tell you, after being married as long as I was, I'm not anxious to get into anything too deep. Or I've been through menopause. So uh uh, you're barking up the dried out tree. Here. No, no, Larry. stop. But but the idea that But he you know, knows that. I mean he, he he's aware that. of her age. Yeah. Right. And he knows and he's like, she's got a 14-year-old kid and <laughs> she, she's gonna and they could adopt more. Theoretically, sure. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially since we're gonna get rid of the store and turn it into a bedroom at some point. There's lots of room. Oh, I'm telling you, do not get me started on that at some point you're gonna have to get started david (laughs) i know i know i'm gonna have to but what i was what i'm leaning toward is why not have it be a standard scene of i want to get serious and i want to be attached and you know i want to move on with that part of my life and have beverly ann be like well i've already kind of done that and i don't want to this is just any she could be any age is what i want to get to yeah what if he had fallen for blair Right now, he'd have been saying to Blair, well, I want to get married soon and I want to start a family. Would Blair Warner have have said, okay? No. She would say, well, I'm not ready to settle down. I, you know, like having my freedom. It's literally the same thing. So I think that would have been an interesting opportunity for this to not work out. But it's not that it's because of the age difference that it didn't work out. It's that they are in different emotional places which is independent of their age. You guys feel me on this? You still could have had Cloris put the button on it in the same way where she says, yes, getting late and go up the stairs. And you could proceed that with almost anything, honestly. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and instead of this, I'm not going to call you. Ooh, that was, that was so cringy for me. So awkward. Yeah. It could have just been a, well, I think of Gypsy, the wonderful musical where Herbie says to Rose, 
of all the things they're talking about of him saying, I want to settle down. I want a family. And she says, I want to travel and take the kids act on the road. And Herbie says, so it seems that that leaves you sitting there and me standing here. Literally just we're, we are in different places and we want different things. And, and that would have been a much nicer and, and painted him as nicer. This sort of like, well, here's part of the pattern where I turn into an asshole and admit to you, I'm going to ghost you. Mm -hmm. Anyhow. Um, but other than all that stuff, what a lovely episode. What a whimsical episode. Overall thoughts before we move on. I, I, I think it, for me, it sort of falls in the middle. It is neither terrible, nor is it one of my favorites, but there were things in it. I liked, like I say, I really liked the card scene. Cause I thought it was a nice bit of business. Uh, I, I don't really like Larry, not exactly. I didn't get the Creeper McCreeperson vibe, but now that I'm thinking about it, I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, but I don't. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but I, I, I never, I sort of don't like him and I can't really figure out why, but overall the episode is fine. The writing is fine. Especially given that we're in season nine, it could have been so much worse. So true. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Matthew, final thoughts? Again. It is full-blown 80s sitcom. All had to be taken care of in 22 minutes. And it is no different than a Golden Girls episode and or any other episode. That I, it just, it, it's fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. And, and I'll I'm admit. Very, I'm not very articulate. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll admit for all of my, you know, my rants and my criticisms, I, I am aware that I did cite a couple of moments in the show where I was like, good, that was a good line. That was, there, there were some things absolutely that were working here. Not the least of which is uh, how to make it work where one of our characters is not mobile. So, you know, incorporating Joe into that and finding ways to utilize her. Uh, including that scene that was unfortunately cut from syndication. Just any, you know, I'm any Blair and Joe leaning on each other, seeking advice. I'm I'm always here for it. And I wish that uh, short scene hadn't been eliminated. Well, see, I agree with you there. And I think that some, some Blair Joe scenes are not in this one, but in other episodes, particularly in season eight, are disappointing because they don't lean they break the leaning on each other off and they have them quip their way out of it in a way that's very unsatisfying and in this one even though joe's quipping back at blair but she's not as grumpy or exasperated as they sometimes have her be she's just you know she's lying on her back and she can't move and she's just like she's she's making, she's making jokes but she's not the least bit mean or grumpy about it and i like mm -hmm. the dynamic in this one between the two of them yeah yeah, she's smiling. There are times when yeah, she is. Joe is Joe is talking about like, oh, I fucking hate that Blair. Damn, you know, it's Which like, makes no sense. No, it doesn't. You love her. You're in love with her. She's your girlfriend. She's your your right? future wife. She's she's 100%. everything. She's your world. And you get to sleep in her bed. In her finally. Bed. <laughs> Just took throwing out your back. So Shelly, you are a delight. You are a bright spot in the world, my darling. Oh, thank you, Matthew. That's so sweet. What a lovely voice and what a just a charming doll face you are. Oh, well, I'm <laughs> I'm so glad to be on and I'm glad to meet you, Matthew. And lovely I... to meet you. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for everything, Shelly. We've so uh, had a great time talking about this. And uh, as I always say to my guests, smooches and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>
Mwah. And there you have it. That was Shelley Brisbane. Is she not a delight? I ask you. I will post links to her wonderful show, Lions, Towers, and Shields. It's a must-listen if you are into classic Hollywood cinema, musicals, film noir, that type of stuff. And I will also post a link of the show I got to do with her, where we discussed Kiss Me Kate. And, of course, I will also post the link to Shelley's website where you can access information on all of her projects, including her book, iOS Access for All. Next week, we're going to be watching Season 9, Episode 9, called Adventures in Bailey Sitting. And our very special returning guest is going to be Dominic Rothbard. Remember Dominic? He's the guy with the Other Facts of Life podcast. We loved having him on for the season premiere this season, so we definitely wanted to bring him on back. And he specifically requested this episode, so I cannot wait to discuss it with him and hear what he has to say about it. You can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>